This podcast represents the opinions of our hosts and guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice and is for informational purposes only. This podcast also does not establish a standard of care, doctor-patient or client relationship. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. And because each person is so unique, all listeners are encouraged to connect with counseling and medical professionals for assistance with their personal journey. All people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect the privacy of those involved. Welcome to We're Not Fine. I'm Dr. Talia Jackson. And I'm Doug Jensen. We thank you for listening every week to our deep and thought-provoking conversations about relationships. Hello again, everybody. Hey, hey. Hello. Um, you, might, you might notice we have someone else on the screen today. And you guys are not even going to believe who it is. Oh, you don't know him? Well, let me introduce you. <laughs> I feel this like I do is... in like 20 minutes. I know. No. This is the one and only Eric Mortimer. And he and I were best buds in middle, no, not middle school. We were best buds like ninth, 10th, and 11th grade. Well, like, like what, really 45, 45, 50 years ago? Close hey. to it. It was 1972. It was 1972. No, we are young and fresh and we're still 16. He was my prom date. I went to your prom. I was 15. And then we went to some homecoming dance. We did. And we did. Remember the 70s theme that was like so crazy? Yep. But I saw Eric, your polyester suit, Eric. You're Still about to out me with in a really embarrassing, embarrassing story that I feel very defensive about. Now, is this the story where you uh -oh. were arrested? <laughs> handcuffed? No, I was wrongfully accused. Allegedly. That's what they all say. That's what they all say, I Talia. Was... Talia Amo Rudolph at the time uh, oh, God. had sticky fingers. No. Uh, mm -hmm. And she was shopping. For a party, lifting, and she got caught stealing no. jelly beans. It was my 15th birthday party, and I was having friends over. But I, there are people that can corroborate my story. Yes, <laughs> there stole? was a shoplifting incident with jelly beans. You are not wrong. But I was 100% innocent had no idea that it was happening and then as we were walking out it was with my girlfriend liz and emily if you guys are listening you're going to be cracking up right now because what happened was liz and i'm not even going to say her last name because guess what <laughs> she is like a judge she's like an attorney and then a judge she went like totally the opposite way of crime Yep. Ivy League education. She's freaking brilliant. And this is what happened. She took a bag of jelly beans, stuffed it in her purse. And then Emily and I, totally naive and excited about my 15th birthday party, we walked out of Jerry's Market. And there was some guy, like a secret investigator, fake shopper guy. And he was like, excuse me young ladies are you planning to pay for that and i was like what i swear i didn't do anything i don't know what you're talking about and lo and behold liz started pulling bags and bags out of her purse and, I and where were yours where did you hide yours 
so innocent, you guys, misunderstood and innocent. And I still had to cancel my birthday party. I sent everybody away. And it's so oh. crazy to think, like, my son is 15 right now. I can't even imagine the scenario. So the story I remember, uh -oh. now this is 30 years of this lie that finally got exposed. <gasps> there was no stealing of bags of jelly beans. You said you filled up this bag of jelly beans and you ate a couple and that was considered theft. So you never put your, oh. this is a testament to your friendship because you never put her under the bus, I suppose, but okay. you made it sound more innocent than that. That is guilty. Well, 1, okay, here's, here is what really happened. <laughs> I did have a bag of jelly beans that I was eating out okay. of. But I did not know that that wasn't what we were getting for. accused okay. of. So Talia, I thought our, that that's your story why. already. Already changed your story. She did change yeah. her story. And Talia, yeah. I just want to remind you that we're not fine as a podcast oh my is about integrity and communication and honesty and transparency and owning your stuff. Otherwise, everybody else has to face it. I believe that that finger means something, and I don't know what it means. You'll have to explain that to me. I've never seen it. But I will it say that, Italian. you know. It was in Italian. So all of a sudden, now it's going to go a little bit further, and Eric can corroborate this. But clearly, I was eating jelly beans. Oh, yeah, I did actually put a whole bunch of bags in my pants. So yeah. I'm not, I'm not oh, loving this, but we all God. make mistakes. We all make mistakes, let me tell you that. Um, I am Which, so excited to have Eric on today. I can't even believe. I literally haven't seen you since we were, what, like 18 or 19? That was 30 years ago. Oh, my God. Wow. I mean, I am only 46. Did you age faster than me? Well, I'm 48. I, I'm 47. I don't even know how old I am. You're 47. I yeah, tell Eric that I'm 50. I tell people I'm 56, and they're like, you look really good for 56. Oh, my God. That you is know. a brilliant right? strategy. I'm going to yeah. start doing that. Yeah. And they'll be like, you don't look a day over 48. And I'll be like, <laughs> God, you're mean. Um, we are having you on today because you so kindly offered to share your story with us. I mean, basically... I have known you since I was 15 years old, and we were best buds. And then around 18 or 19, right about when I went to college, I feel like our paths just completely drifted away from each other. And I feel like I lost you, and I didn't even know what happened until and i don't even know how we resurfaced i feel like it was facebook or something something social media yes and then i've been following you for years you've said the sweetest most supporting things and i've just kind of seen this transformation where you surfaced and then you said something about like i'm clean and sober and i was like oh my god that's what happened. And then I saw you like met this beautiful woman and then you got married and then you had two adorable kids. And I knew that you had two other kids from your previous life. And I just was like rooting for you and so excited by how everything just seemed beautiful from where I was sitting. And then I was like, I really, really want to know your story. And you're going to tell us, and I'm That's so grateful. Fine. 
Well, and you know, I think one of the pieces, and of course we joked a lot at the beginning of all of this, and Eric, you came maybe a half hour ago. I feel like I know you very well already. Um, and I appreciate that you're here today because, you know, substance abuse, dependency, these are topics that our nation is facing in a really big way. I think use is increasing. And so your story becomes really important. One of the things I've always said is that everybody has their own individual kind of experience with this and how, and I even in our initial conversation, you used words like clean and recovery, and we want to hear all about it. So if you would just start and thank you again so much for being here, tell us your story. Uh, yeah, I'm going to try it. Like I was saying before we got on camera, I'll jump all over the place but uh i'll start with with talia when talia chose success uh and healthy choices i went the exact opposite way so that i disappeared right uh, where active addiction uh took over my life and when and how uh the disease of addiction they always refer to as very cunning and baffling correct mm. so the disease of addiction doesn't really allow you to see the path you're going on. And, and it's hard to explain unless if you went through it, it, it kind of puts like a, you know, it, a filter on it. Like, Hey, this is fun, 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 fun. Mm -hmm. And then at some point in time, it doesn't turn and turns from fun into necessity uh, where you cannot live without whatever chemical it is, you know, uh, started using heavily, right around that time of 17, 18. Uh, and then that cunning and baffling thing, I met my uh, ex-wife at the time. We got married, had kids, and there was virtually little to no use, even alcohol, uh, nothing for eight-ish years. Wow. And then we got divorced. And after the divorce, now I got thrown into being the first time really going out to bars or anything of that nature. Uh, and then that slow progression from, I always say the first 40 years of childhood were my hardest. <laughs> so from 30 oh my to God, 40, I love it. right? <laughs> from 30 to 40, uh, that timeline is very scattered. There's peaks of extremely bad abuse, uh, drug abuse. And then there's also moments of success. Uh, but there's always that underlying part of being an addict and I, and I didn't know I was an addict. I just thought, Hey, I was doing good in life. I can afford to relax, do whatever drug I want to entertain. Uh, and then at the last several years of that path, it, it that's when it got to the point where it's out of control. And every day, the only thing I tried to do each and every day was fine enough drugs to use for that day. Mm. I realize, Eric, that we have like this series of questions we hope to ask you today, but I want to go off script a little bit because I have a question about that comment you made about success. So I'm curious about like not only what did those successes feel like? Were they financial? Were they occupational? Were they relationship? And then, you know, did they momentarily make you feel like you weren't an addict and you didn't have any problems and so you could sweep it under the rug? Is that how that yeah, looked? Yeah, yeah, finance, like ro romantic success, never <laughs> until now. <laughs> but uh, okay. no, yeah. uh, financial success. Like I was doing good in my career. You know, okay. I had I had money uh, to pay my bills on time. Uh, yeah. But see, it, it's a misguided success because I wasn't 
planning anything for the future. It was always just right. what's in front of me, what mm -hmm. adrenaline rush it could be, what spending splurge I could afford, all show, no go. You know, look at me, oh, I'm covering up. And, and then on the backside of that, you're, you're, the success and uh, materialistic items was kind of covering up that underlying issue of broken, no self-esteem, no self-worth, uh, bipolar disorder, unmedicated. Oh, uh, wow. So, you know, when I say success, uh, just to normal people, <laughs> it's not the same. Right. You know, it was sort of like... Picture. In the moment, you were feeling like I've got my shit together. Yeah, and I, hey, I just this. you know like had moments. I wouldn't say clean time or sobriety because you know I'd still use, but I wouldn't use as much. Or you know I, I go absent for a, for a little bit, uh, mm. and then you know hey I can afford it. I deserve so it. You're doing I'm, good. I'm thinking about what you were saying about you know when you so you were using pretty heavily at around 17 and 18 but then when you met your now ex you guys like you got married you started a life together it sounds like you had kids and it was yep, like a pretty a you bought a house and so you for about eight years substances were really not an issue in your life until the no. divorce Yep. And, wow. and we didn't make that decision. Like we were like little club kids and went to raise my, you know, uh, the mother of my first two ch children instead of, I should say that instead of X, but, uh, we didn't make a decision to quit. We just kind of, and so we kind of just grew up out of it. And maybe that covered wow. up the blind side of me later in life a little bit because, okay, you, you know, I had done a lot of chemicals, but I'm not an addict because I quit. Right. And would you share a little bit about like what were your drugs of choice like how did this even happen for you well you know the, i did the innocent drugs just 18 year old weed acid uh crystal meth yeah so innocent, <laughs> those innocent when, ones, I, yeah. when i think <laughs> yeah. of innocent i definitely think crystal meth right yeah so no as you know i call them the the rave drugs you know oh, yeah. then yeah. Uh, and then when I, when I, after I got divorced, it was a lot of bar time. And with bar time, it was a lot of cocaine. Uh, okay. And then the cocaine stopped working or it got too expensive because I had to do so much of it on a daily basis that <clears throat> then it turned into crystal meth. So the last five years, that four-ish, four or five years was uh, daily use of crystal meth. In terms of I look your like divorce, speaker, right? <laughs> go ahead and say it again. <laughs> like, I'm curious about the divorce. Did the divorce, as because oftentimes people talk about hitting that bottom, right? Did yeah. the divorce feel like a bottom to you? Did you feel like no? It that felt was a like turning... a, well, I never. I told. I, I looked at her side of the street, and not my side of the street. I, I was uh... blindsided by it, you know, because I was so. And, I, and I'll point back to the addiction too. It's uh it's you know disease of addiction wise not active use uh it's very self-centered disease right you can become selfish self-centeredness is all around you and it's all ego uh so i didn't see my actions and now with years clean and years in recovery uh i can see my side of the street was extremely dirty i can see where i was selfish in my time uh i can see where i was a parent that was physically there, but not uh, mm -hmm. mentally there, because that was all about me, what I had, what I was doing. Uh, 
And then so when we got divorced, I was extremely blindsided. And I don't remember, like, I don't re recall the feelings of, okay, I'm going to drink these feelings away. Uh, the self-centeredness point, it was like, I'm free. I get to do whatever uh... I want. I get to go out, you know, and, and then that takes over to, you know, all right, it's my weekend for the kids. Well, can you take the kids for the weekend? Because I know I want to go use. Right. right. And then when the narcotics got a grip of me, you know, it was now I was not a present physical parent and I was far from being emotionally or, you know, supportive at all during those times. I mean, what you said, that just floors me. I mean, it makes so much sense, but it's almost like when you said that when you're on this path, which to some might look like this downward spiral or that it's so much easier to watch somebody else and be like, ooh, this is like going nowhere good. But when yeah. you said that when you're in that moment, you can't even see the path that you're on. But I'm also thinking about when you were saying that even when you were doing well, it felt like maybe the headlights didn't go out much further than like today. <laughs> knows <laughs> right which is like right, i wonder right. if that's like something it's the same question of you're on this path that starts by feeling really good you're footloose and fancy free there was probably a little bit of like revenge freedom in there like right fuck you now i get to do whatever i want and well, i don't a lot want of that. <laughs> right and then when did you start feeling like you know this might actually be a problem or this is no longer fun. I think it's got its grip on me. The, like I was trying to recall this, uh, like my feelings going through, especially when I, when the crystal meth hit again for the second time later in life there, you know, mid thirties, you know, a real, real popular decision when you're in your mid thirties to start doing crystal meth. I know it's a, most people can relate, right? Yeah, sure. super relatable. I mean, everyone's a great got their choice. Vices. I'm so happy. <laughs> oh uh, when that when that got reintroduced and to the point where I saw the destruction was heading to where it was, was the day I got clean. I didn't really? see like it, 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 and I'm, this might not be for every addict, you know. Like you, you wake up and you 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 might go to you know stay awake for several days. And some point in there, I'm sure I had thoughts of like, I don't want to get high the next day, blah, blah, blah. But I don't recall those feelings. I don't. I just knew I needed to make sure I had drugs on me for the next day. And then, and I would do anything to make sure that would happen from, you know, you, the thing with addiction, like when you start doing different drugs, you open up a door that you can't see behind. And now you, and instead of just another like split path, there's 10 different paths behind that door that before you open it said, I would never do anything of those mm, natures, right. you know? So now you got, right. you open up this door to, you know, stealing, lying, manipulating, to robbing, uh, hurting that, you know, I'm like, oh, I'll never do any of those things. But addiction will make you open every single door in order to keep using drugs and not just jelly beans is what i'm assuming not just jelly, yeah <laughs> i'm so misunderstood yeah. um you're really not Eric, i i don't understand like how i mean so what you're saying is there was no real bottom that you hit well 
there's there's a date. Uh, it was. I, I thought this was going to be my bottom, right? So mm-hmm. I I was arrested on my way to my daughter's birthday party. I was taking okay. her and her friends out. It was November two thousand thirteen, right? And I'm sitting in the back of the police car, and they're going through. Uh, yeah, this is a weird story. This is kind of a sad story. Uh, so my son, my oldest son's a type one diabetic. And so when I reached in to grab my registration, there was insulin needles. I was never an IV user, but there's insulin needles and that gave him, you know, grounds to search the vehicle. So I knew what they were going to find. Uh, so I'm in the back of the police car uh, and they're searching my car. I know I'm in trouble. And at that moment, I was like, oh my God, I'm free. I can get help. Oh so my that, gosh. That, that was my first, I was knew where my life was going to have a lot of trouble. I'm going to have a lot of explaining. However, I am free. I, I'm done lying. I'm done. Cause it, up until then I never got DWIs. I never had drug possession charges. I never got busted. Right. And I was dealing and I was, you know, high driving around 24 seven, but I had no repercussion through the law. Uh, wow. They go to the jail. I get there as I'm getting booked in two Washington County uh, narcotics detectives pull me aside and they, my name must be on their radar, had come up quite a bit for associations. And they, they go, well, here we, we can make you a deal that if you turn in three people, we drop the charges. And my, no, I was just in the back of the cop car crying, thanking God that I'm free. Yep. They give me this option. My first question to them was, do you drug test on this program? They said, no. Okay, I'll do it. And I got left jail and went and got high. I didn't get clean until January 5th, 2015. So well over a year later, 14 months later is finally when I got clean. So I had that, you know, that God moment in the back of the cop car to an hour later offer this deal that I could still use because I know the court systems, you know, you get busted, they're going to put you on what they call the color wheel drug test. You, you can't use, you're going to get more in trouble. Well, now that my addict, the, the addiction took over and said, Hey, you're okay to use. Right. Not Run only okay way. to use, but really no consequence no to having actually been caught. Yeah, and go ahead and associate with drug addicts, drug dealers. Do all yep. this. You have the permission of by the police to do all this now. Oh, That's right. You know, and, and then I never and then I never followed up with theirs. I, I was, you know, I I didn't have a mailing address for almost five years. You know, so, how how does that happen? It, it's a great way not to pay bills. <laughs> yeah, oh, Eric, I'm very curious about coming clean. Tell us about that yeah. experience. So, uh, January 5th, 2015, uh, I don't remember any of it. Mm. I don't, I, I do remember, I do remember, uh, I was exhausted and I was literally out of options to use, right? I had no house, no car. I don't recall the last time I seen my kids, uh, no food. A uh, dear friend of mine, Bryce, who Talia knows from way back, he had a handful of my possessions in a storage unit he allowed me to keep in there. 
and that was it, you know, nothing. And I, I was breaking into houses, uh, stealing anything I could to eat. I mean, we, you know, we, we went to the bars to go to people's barbecues outside of their patios and steal the propane tanks because we knew a guy that would give us $20 a propane tank. Oh my God. So, I mean, it got to that level where I'm stealing people's propane tanks off their barbecues in the middle of winter, you know, yep. Yep. To, in order to get enough money to get high for just that day. So I, I'm, I'm assuming now, because I'm, I'm, you know, eight-ish years removed from it, trying to recall back. Uh, Which is I, not that long ago. You know what I mean? Not, when you think yeah, about not, it, where it, you it, are in your life. Yeah, for what for the recovery side of the story is the the best part. That's what I love. I love to share. But uh, so at that moment, January fifth, uh, I didn't use another dear friend of mine. I reached out to her, uh, Charmaine. Who, everybody who went to prom with. Oh, <laughs> I was like, when you said Bryce, I yeah. was like, do I remember Bryce? Oh my God, Charmaine! Nope. Can I nope. just tell you? First of all, she was stunning. I remember this nope. was like my first like formal dance experience, and I was a city girl who nope. I was wearing like, you know what, combat boots and like, I mean, they called me <laughs> shit kicker. You know, I was also yeah. like that club kid. And yeah, I, we still I, do. You know, yeah. grungy nirvana like weird vibe but i went to that prom with you and charmaine was like she was wearing foundation which i'd never even seen makeup before she looked so beautiful she wore these like she had really long fake nails and like well, tight fancy. like she was so fancy and i remember being like oh my god she looks like a, a woman she was so beautiful i remember <laughs> i remember her so my my prom my prom committee saved me at the uh, so Charmaine, Charmaine I, I got I just stayed on her couch for a couple weeks right and she get, all I'd have to do was do three things she gave me three things that she, each day to do and she was and she would bring me candy at the, when she got home from work you know God bless her for trusting me to stay at her house but these three things and it was those first couple weeks were almost impossible to get off that couch I was. You know, it, with narcotics, you don't get like with the opioids, you don't get like physically sick or anything like mm. that. But the complete exhaustion, uh, do the dishes, take a shower and try to eat something. And those mm. three, just doing those three basic things almost felt impossible at first. It was, it was the weirdest thing. Uh, from there, I, I had all kinds because I, I never followed through with my court stuff and turning in people, blah, blah, blah. So I had a huge, I had a second degree felony possession charge over my head. I knew I had to get clean. And at this time I still haven't put myself into the rooms of recovery at this point. Uh, I went to spend a couple months with my parents in Florida, uh, got healthier there and then came back to figure out how I'm going to do this. Right. Uh, and at that point, then I found I found a recovery group, uh, and then that's where my recovery story kind of goes from there. So, tell us about what type of recovery group. So the group I, I joined it's a twelve step program, Narcotics Anonymous. Um, okay. And then, with, of course, everyone knows of AA, and there's mm -hmm. Crystal Method. I went to I went to any any meeting I could. It didn't really matter at the point, but I, I with on the the one I became a community member of, I should say, almost, uh, was yep. NA. Uh, mm. So I started going recovery. Uh, I got a couple months clean, still no place to live, 
no job, no license, no car. And instead of sleeping at trap houses, you know, drug houses, I was staying at members of, these are people I just met. And I would sleep on their couches, uh, futon mattress on the floor. They would give me rides to meetings or I'd walk to meetings, uh, feed me, you know, and like the biggest part about getting clean, uh, well, not biggest, there's so many big parts, but the part was important for me in the beginning was finding humility, right? Yes. And humility and humiliation are completely two different things. So you had to fill, fill your life with humility uh, and ask for help, you know, and, and you know, it might be a, like more of a male, I don't know, I guess we both sexists do, but for a guy to ask for help, for me to ask for help, uh, meant I had to be vulnerable. Uh, it's accepting, you know, it's admitting that I have yeah. problems I can't handle on my own, right? And I need help. My, you know, they became my family and t they took care of me. I, I would, you know, I went, I go to fellowship after the meetings and I would eat leftovers because I had mm -hmm. nothing else. Right. Uh, I had all kinds of court stuff that brought me to there. I was luckily I got sentenced to, I got sentenced to 364 days. So I didn't have to do a go to prison. Uh, and then I got uh, out of custody and in custody sentenced to service. The catch was if you miss a day, they take all that time away and then I'm going to go, go away, locked up. Uh, there was a, a member of NA or remember, I should say recovery. There was a uh, member that gave me a ride every day or made sure I had a ride every day. So I, you know, I utilized 10 to 12 different people to make sure I got through this. And I just, I went to, I replaced everything in my life. It's getting, getting clean. There's one, you just have to replace one thing. And that's everything, right? Oh my People, gosh. places, and things. So, I, I just want to say, I'm so curious because, you know, we're not fine as a podcast kind of about relationships with ourselves, with others. I'm listening to your story and I realize you have two kids at this time, right? Yep. And so I'm, I'm very curious, like as you're spending two months in Florida, how do you, were you, were you staying in contact? Were you absent? Stay, stay, I was staying in contact and throughout my whole time of my addiction too, I, I would justify uh, my use to myself, I suppose, cause I would never use in front of them. I never drank in front of them. I never smoked in front of them. You know, yeah. and that was probably that inner dad thing. Uh, I lived in so many different places, you know, at the time, you know, I went, before I became homeless and before I was, you know, the last couple, probably two years before I didn't really have anything. Uh, yeah. we moved around so much, but when they're with me, uh, we always made sure we did like adventures and, you know, I, it was a smoke and mirror show. And now, and when, when I got arrested, uh, mother Je Jess, uh, she told them dad got arrested right. for drug use, you know, and that still didn't get me clean, you know, right. being, being, uh, my children, I, you know, it's like, you'd think your children would be enough to get clean. And it's sad to you say it, it, it isn't, yep. it isn't. And why right. that is, I, you know, I, that's that disease of addiction, addiction aspect of it. Uh, court didn't get me clean, you know, like the fear of going to jail didn't get me clean. And the scary part about it, addiction is that if the addict doesn't choose it, very rarely the addict survives. I, you know. I had a client years and years and years ago who just talked about her experience of alcoholism and she 
liken she said a story of just like it's it feels like this that if somebody just opened up the door to your house had a gun to your head and said if you have one more drink of alcohol i'm literally going to pull the trigger and kill you on the spot and what she said was i would definitely see how many gulps i could take before the bullet hit my brain like right. nothing was enough right and oh. it's just this really i think it's what you said is like it, it's no longer fun it just becomes this necessity it's like breathing air or drinking water and your world gets very what is what is it called myopic where it's like you only see that's a really big word it's a really big word <laughs> um <laughs> Eric, I'm really curious. Like, so you've got these two beautiful kids that you don't even remember really when you last saw them at this point in your life that you were trying like smoke and mirrors. But then I feel like you have this do over where you have two more children. And I know that you worked your ass off to like reconnect with your first two kids and i'd love to know your experience i mean you were in a really dark time your first time around parenting what how is it different this time around and how did you fix your relationship yeah we should share Um, that you have you have like moved on to a new relationship and do have new kids i don't know that that was referenced before (laughs) just to give some context i jumped ahead ahead. so skipping forward a a couple years into well a little about two years into recovery while I was clean, uh, I met a woman in the program. All right. Uh, shot my shot. And she said, yes. You know, like, whoa, we all kicked my coverage. Uh, I understand she played hockey (laughs) for Stillwater. Yeah. Hockey Stillwater. Yeah. College hockey for Gus Davis. Uh, I I need to meet her. She's, I mean, she, I also feel like I need to meet her. And I, I mean, (laughs) you definitely married up for sure, right? She's, (laughs) I'm just kidding. I love you, Eric. Ouch. (laughs) We're sorry to interrupt. She's like, she's spectacular. Yeah. My parents asked her what she, what was wrong with her when she said I do. So (laughs) it's all right. (laughs) Uh, So I developed this joint. My wife's name is Kelsey. uh, And she provided, uh, goals for me you know here's a when you when you do marry up like uh responsibility expectations and she is the first person in my life that has continued to make me a better person and and like and i still like she'll put expectations on me like ew right boundaries expectations right but every time every time it happens i level up in life (laughs) uh my my daughter my son was young enough my firstborn son was young enough that he does he doesn't really remember it and my older my my older daughter uh genevieve does right uh i don't know where she's forgiven me to the extent i know it's a lot she's forgiven me quite a bit especially from being arrested on her birthday and then found mm. out at a very young age that her dad was an addict and a criminal, et cetera. Uh, but when you live the recovery, not just getting clean or sober, but when you live in recovery, uh, it teaches you like the integrity, like we said in, in the beginning when we started, uh, it, it, it teaches you all these life skills and 
how to be a normal person living with this disease. So by me living right, uh, Kelsey and I gave our my two oldest children a foundation, a, a steady foundation that we could rebuild our lives on. And that, that our foundation was laid with recovery, right? So that's, that's our, our recovery foundation. And I think it's just because they saw that I was getting better, not just doing better, but really getting better. And when they became to trust that this foundation isn't going to crack like every single one is in the past, that's where the amends started to happen. You know, it, was, mm-hmm. it wasn't nice. My sorry's meant nothing. Sorry, I can't pick you up this weekend. I'm sorry, Dad wasn't there. Sorry, Dad missed that. You know, they heard a thousand sorries. My sorry that means nothing to nobody at this point, right? Uh, where was I? Okay, so Kelsey uh, and I started building this life. And, you know, they say when you get into recovery and get clean, you know, sometimes you get what you wish for. (laughs) And so now I have two more children because we got married. I call myself the rewipe father. I get a rewipe, you know. Uh, (laughs) Wait, (laughs) is that like rewiping butts or like you wipe your record clean? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I just wanted uh, uh, clarification. Yeah, rewipe my my you know like my oldest kids call me Gramp Dad. You know, I'm forty, almost forty eight years old. So cute. Two year old. You know, daughters are twenty years apart, sons are sixteen years apart. That's normal. Oh my god. Uh, but so now when when they were born, when Emmett, my two year old was born, uh, I did have a lot of mental health kind of issues. Uh a lot as depression was sinking in, guilt, shame, yep. because I'm realizing I'm going to be a different father this time around. Oh, that's yep. powerful. So I, that and was I could a, imagine heartbreaking. Yeah, so now I was, I, I, you know, like I'm in recovery, supposed to be working on these past issues, but you, 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 you're supposed to forgive yourself. You're supposed to do all this stuff, but it, you really truly don't all the way. And I, I should say I didn't, you know, I buried that guilt and shame and, and you know, again, smoke and mirrors. Maybe it's just my, my way of doing things, you know, to protect myself from myself for feeling wise and, and don't do it that way. Cause it's super not healthy. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but, Eric, did you find that like with your little ones that when some of the mental health stuff was coming up for you, you were feeling like the guilt and the shame and the depression was bubbling up. Did you feel like it made you a little more withdrawn from your little ones? Or did it make you push harder to be more connected with the elders or kind of both or neither? Both a little bit. Like I, I, uh, my, my, my oldest kids, like, I pastured the heck out of them, right? Like, they're like, oh, my God, yeah. Dad, I didn't answer the phone. You called 15 times or, you know, so, like, yeah. I became that helicopter parent over them, you know, so it was, like, no parent to helicopter parent. So they got... You were making up for lost time. Right? Yeah. yeah. And there's different there's different bad habits I developed there, too, like, spoiling them, buying them too much, you know, to, you know trying to do that. But with... with uh, with Emmett and Annika now, the two new ones, uh, like I said, I get, I get, I get a huge redo. And you get a huge redo. And, you know, as you talk about these different generations, I can imagine your older kids and, you you know, you kind of talked before, like, maybe this is a work in progress, which it can be a work in progress for the rest of your life. 
But I am curious if part of their issue is resentment that you're able to be there now for this next generation, but not for them. And do you think that? Yeah, not. Uh, Or at least it's not been vocalized. Uh, Eli, my oldest son, uh, is amazingly patient with both of them. Uh, My daughter, Genevieve, she's she's got her busy life, you know, 20 years old, but I don't see it at all. You know, and there could be. That's that's I should probably ask. You know, I, I don't know. <laughs> sure. You don't have because Genevieve and I have a really good open line of communication, right? That's fantastic. We have a, an honesty factor about us, uh, and that—that's another. Like, I'll, I'll try to refer to recovery as much as I can, uh, because in recovery you learn how to be honest. You know, as an addict, right. when you're getting in and getting clean, addicts are not honest, right? We, we, I was the biggest liar I've ever met in my entire life. Mm. And so now I have to change from being the, the biggest liar to being completely honest. And I, and I have to do this change extremely fast because lies keep us sick, right? We hide behind lies. And if I'm willing to lie about something, eventually I'm gonna be willing to lie about use as my trainer, you know, how I was thinking. Um, so with them, yeah, I need to have that conversation with Genevieve. Just you know, sure. it might be, you know, it's it's always a good idea, right, to check in, Yeah, you know, just to see. But I love that you have that beautiful relationship with her. Yeah. And I am curious. So, like, so you've been clean and sober for eight years now, right? Yep, since January 5th, 2015. So Incredible. And so, like, what would you even call the stage you're in now in recovery I, are there obstacles? Is it still like hard every day? Like, do you feel like, oh, I've got this in the bag. I don't ever think about it anymore. Or is it like a daily? No, that's a slippery, slippery slope to okay. think that you have it in the bag. Okay. Right. Because I, I yeah. never will. I, I will always, you know, you're never, you're in recovery. You're never recovered ever, 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 ever. So once you think you have it, addiction will take it away from you. And I've seen being in the rooms as long as I've been in, I've seen people with long-term sobriety, clean time, go back out. You know, 14 years, 20 years, go back out. And the disease of addiction, when you go back out after having long-term sobriety, uh, got stronger. You know, they oh. like one of the things they always say: it's out in the your addiction's out in the parking lot doing push-ups, getting ready for you. Oh to come God! Back. But and that's like go a good back, reminder. Yeah, you go back right where you left off, not back to like the party days, the fun days and you, and you you make up for lost time and you don't even realize what you're doing it, you know, uh, which goes back to the one day at a time kind of mantra, right? Yeah. Like this is one day at a time. It's not about like anticipating 10 years away. Um, yeah. I want to jump back a little bit into some history a little bit. And so I'm shifting gears entirely, but I'm curious, number one, Eric, if there's any family of origin, tendencies toward this, that you followed some patterns. Um, I also want to know just generally while we talked about like how you got into this, thank you for the smile. Um, I'm very curious, like what you think was going on internally for you that, you know, we talk about the halt method, hunger, anger, lonely, tired, as kind of oftentimes what people utilize, uh, have as a, a, a sort of framework for what gets them into use and what causes relapse and whatnot. I'm curious about those two questions for you. Yeah, let's go family um, of origin. My, go ahead. Yeah, family origin. Both my both my parents were addicts, alcoholics, addicts. You know, okay. broken home, I, and and I would literally put my kids through what I was put through. 
Mm. You know, and that's one of those things that you're, you know, I'm, I'm sure at some point in time in my history, I'm like, I'll never raise my kids the way I was. And, you know, I, I love both my parents. I have my, my mom, another part of recovery too. I, I kind of, like I said, I'll jump around. I'm going to jump here first. So I have about nine months clean, uh, right? And just got out of serving a little bit of jail time uh, with more jail time coming up. And when I got out, I found my mom, found out that my mom had lung cancer, you know, and she she got diagnosed while I was in jail. I got out and one month after I got out, she died. Oh my God, Eric, uh, I'm so sorry. Right. And so I'm, oh. I was so angry, so angry. And I don't know if I really wanted, I, I wanted to get drunk. I'm like, alcohol was, hadn't been a part of my life for a long time because it was all drugs. And I wanted to get drunk and I wanted to fight. That's yeah. all I kept thinking. Uh, any, my recovery family, uh, surrounded me, protected me, my mom's funeral. Now these are people I've got less than a year relationship. If, you know, if a couple weeks, my mom's funeral was 75% of people in recovery, 25% oh family friends. It was unbelievable. But so unbelievable. like the humility and the community envelop you at the same time like that's the price yep. that you pay for the community of people that are ride or die like that yep. they would drop everything to be there for you i mean it's yep. incredible and that and the, speaking of the community is like like i always tell people when they get involved into any type of recovery group you have to be vulnerable you have to show that humility you have to be honest and you have to, you know, you, you don't get help with less if you ask for it, right? Mm. And nobody's entitled to you just because you're in the same meeting. Nobody's, nobody's responsible for helping you, right? So ask everybody. And even if you don't seem like you like them, you might need them. They might be the only yep. person that answers the phone and you're sitting in a parking lot. You're like, yep. oh, I don't really like that guy. You get their number anyways because you yeah. might he might save your life or she might save your life. You know, it, uh, it makes me wonder about, I mean, just so if you're talking about that, if when you start using, then drugs or alcohol become the number one coping mechanism for feelings or discomfort yeah. or anxiety or anger or frustration, all of the things. And so it's almost like you have to start from scratch, figuring out how to even how to have start. a how to cope without yeah. drugs and alcohol that's, that's right where my brain went you know i went to yeah. i wasn't gonna go pick up crystal meth or cocaine or whatever because i that would numb me i wanted to amplify those feelings with alcohol. like you wanted to fight i know what alcohol yeah alcohol i i'm like when i get drunk i get angry and when mm. i get drunk i get mean right and that's where my brain jumped to wow. i'm hurting I want to hurt back. So how do you go through life with that with that mind frame, and how do you change it? And, yeah. and that's that's where you know, like like I said earlier. Well, I'll, I'll, I'm going to jump over. I'll go back to growing up, right? Please, uh, yep. With the, the disease of addiction before, way before active use, and this is something I've, I've realized and understand about myself now. Uh, Tell you probably saw this as my teenage years. I had to have attention at all times. So I, I needed, so I, I want usually the ne negative attention got me the most attention, but I would feel alone in a crowded room. You know, I could be the class clown and I was put myself, you know, there's 
typically one class clown. So as a class clown, you're alone, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I was in wrestling, uh, football, tennis, uh, but I, you know, I was never felt I was good enough. You know, never, never thought people actually really liked me. And so at a very, very young age, all the signs of all the addict signs were there. Right. And so they say it's a disease of addiction. And it took me a long time to accept that because my son's type one diabetic. Now that's a disease. Right. And my sponsor was like, mm -hmm. well, Eli needs insulin in order to live. Right. He goes, you think maybe your insulin is recovery? Because if you don't have recovery, you're not going to live either. Mm -hmm. uh, and then with the disease of addiction too, and this is just my opinion. I don't know. I don't, I don't read as many books as Tali has in here, but those are all for show. I told you, seventy-five. Yeah, there's no pages in those. I... Right? Because <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they open up, never been open. Um, I look at the disease of addiction as basically a touch of every mental health problem, mm. all put in one. Right? You have anxiety, depression, uh, bipolar, schizophrenia. Schizophrenia. It's you get a touch of every single one and they just put it in addiction. Uh, and there, there's no, you can't medicate an addict. You know, like my dad, it was funny. My dad sent me a while back, you know, uh, like it was a picture of there's two pills type thing. And, you know, like uh, one, you, you, if, if you take, no, just one, it was one pill. There's a cure for addiction and a pill. And then the next page it was said, the addict would say, well, what if, what if I took two? So you could take right. one pill to cure addiction. But the addict would say, well, I want to see what happens if I take two. Right? Like this never enough feeling or never like how enough. far can I take it? Like a bottomless never. pit of yep. yeah, some like sort of one is, Yeah, one is too many thousands enough. Never enough. Okay. Okay. You know, Eric, one of the things that is so powerful about what you said when you went back to family of origin is that you did recreate this pattern in your adulthood. And it's what yeah. we do when we have no other way of knowing how to cope or, or what else to do. So we get this guidebook on how to live our life and we naturally and organically go after it because it's, it's what our yeah. natural tendency is and it's what we're shown. And you didn't get shown other ways of coping at the time. I'm very curious if you could look back, and I realize this is always, uh, in retrospect, the magic question, but if you knew yourself now as a teenager, what would you tell yourself? Right? <laughs> I, mean, well, I like that like, question. Like, well, I would... Uh, <laughs> here's the thing. My, where my life is today... Yeah, and, and taking Evie and Eli, the oldest kids, out of it because of their way they grew up, you know. So if I remove them out of the feeling aspect, because of recovery and because of the work I've done, yeah, I would tell them not to change anything because my life has gotten to a, a life so blessed and mm. so rewarding. So what at what 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 would I risk removing? Because I might not have what I have today. Does that does that make sense? It makes total sense. I'd be scared to take anything out of it because I wouldn't want nothing to change. You, we wouldn't be where we are today, assuming right. that's a good place, and it is for you. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I have I, I have a very similar story as well, not in terms of uh, you know any sort of substance abuse, but you know coming out and being honest with who I am. Like when we get honest with who we are and we live that healthy life. And we live every day openly and honestly. Every single piece of our puzzle that gets us to that place had to happen. 
the people yeah. we dated, the people we engaged with, the things that we've done that have been maybe were illegal, like selling, uh, stealing jelly beans from a Jerry's food market. Hey, yeah, that, just, that never took place. It all had to happen, <laughs> right? Fake but you news. know, I love what you said because it wouldn't you wouldn't have what you have. And I also want to say, going back to like the relationships you have with your ex and the mother of your children and your older children and your current wife hockey player from Stillwater, go ponies. Um, you know, the reality is that none of that would be the case if you hadn't gone through this journey the way you are, but it's tough. Right. And there is yeah. constantly work to get, you know, maintain that health, I think. So I love, I love your answer. It's good. Okay, Eric, I do want to, I'm reframing Doug's question. Okay. Okay, because like, I loved that answer so she much. Did, she but... didn't like your question enough, Doug. Evidently so not. Yeah. I'm pivoting. That's common. I, you know what? I loved the question, adored the answer, but I want to know something slightly different. I'm thinking okay. about like your four kids. If one of your kids, I know I cannot literally cannot believe it. If one of your kids started heading down a dangerous, slippery, familiar path and you saw this, would you have a different, like, I know right now you're saying I wouldn't change a thing because look at my blessed life. Yeah. If you saw one of your kids starting to sniff around and go down a direction that you know all too well, how, what would you say to them? How would you approach it? Well, uh, with my two oldest, my oldest with Evie, she, she's had different struggles and I won't, you know, this and her story wise, yeah. uh, so that was a, kind of a tough one because we kind of been there a little bit. Okay. Uh, so I'd say referring to, well, just referring to all four was if we keep her story out of it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and she's doing amazing. Uh, Good. Yay, better than amazing. <laughs> uh Yeah, it's a tough one because as an addict, I know that if I didn't want to get clean, I wouldn't get clean no matter who said what. You know, I ignored right. all vice, I ignored everything. And so, and I know that, and I believe that true and blue to my heart. The only person who can have help a, an addict is himself. And if, a, an, if an addict's mad at you, you're helping that addict. If an right. addict's happy with you or an addict loves you, you're enabling that addict. You so know? there's and no winning. You can, It's a lose-lose trying it's, to it, address it's it. Not, it. I won't say lose-lose because... I've seen hundreds and hundreds of people win their battle of addiction, you know, type. So right. it's, I know it's a different question. So I don't want to say lose because there is a way out, you know, it's uh, for sure. You know, there's, yep. there's, there's a way out, but when it comes to our loved ones, uh, when, when, for me being an addict, I would guilt, I, I would, I would use every advantage I could to pull on friends and loved ones emotions in order to get what I wanted from them. So the only time they would ever see me happy or happy with them would be as if I'm getting something so I can continue using. Yeah. Uh, so going into it with the kids and being a parent to that, you know, we identify the signs. Uh, Which are what? Turn, like, what would you be looking for? Being distant, being depressed, you know, and like, and like my two oldest children have the signs of addiction, you know, like. You, you, you know, and it's, it will turn into active use where they never recover. That isn't up to me. You know, we were yeah. born with free will, you know. That, uh, that makes me p 
panicky because I feel like I've got a 15 <laughs> year old and yeah. a 13 year old and I feel like I literally want them on surveillance and yeah. I want to like what? shake them and be like, yeah. wake up, like whatever you do, do not go down this path. Like don't right. do it. It doesn't matter. Here's the thing. It doesn't matter what we say, but like, like with Evie and Eli building this life on recovery foundation now, right. I'm showing them the path to redemption or now with, with Annika and Emmett, uh, Kelsey and I get to raise them in a stable environment in a loving environment, an environment where they have our attention, where they don't have to go seek it elsewhere. You know, when Annika falls asleep, I did this with Evie a lot too. When Annika, before bed, I always whisper to her, you're enough, you're strong, you know, and like, she's eight months old. That makes me want to cry. Literal I'm going to whisper these things, you know, I did it with Evie too. I'm going to whisper them. So, you know, when it comes to your daughter wise, it's like, I look at it to the point where, uh, oh, that's the first time a guy's ever said that to me. That will never happen because the first guy who's ever said it to him is dad, Right. This is stuff that they've heard and they know, and they might, they're not even going to know how they know it, you know? So what, when it comes to that recovery, uh, the apple doesn't fall, your uh, addiction, the apple doesn't fall far from its tree. Well, yeah. I get to plant this, I get to plant this tree and have these new apples on top of a damn hill. So they have to, the, the, the yeah. apples are going to travel away from, away from that tree. So it's not a matter of what we say, it's a matter of how, what we do. Oh really. my God! As, you know? as a fellow dad, Eric, I I applaud you for that effort and and being as expressive of you of yourself emotionally as that. It's really critical we model that as well. So really nice work. Yeah. It's a nice story. I loved it. Yeah. I, I I'd love to ask one last question before we sort of like wrap. I mean, what a powerful like, episode. <clears throat> We're gonna yeah. wrap. Yeah. Um. <laughs> is that R A P? Yeah. We're gonna wrap. Yeah. You're gonna beatbox, and I'm yeah. just gonna. so this is what so what words of advice would you give to someone who actually might be feeling like this might be a problem for me Um, I don't know what to do I think I need to look at my substance use or maybe like a loved one like I think my loved one is having issues Um, what advice would you give them that's a, there's so much different advice you can give. And like, so you get overwhelmed people with advice so that it gets, you can overwhelm them so much that just the getting through that advice seems like it's climbing up a mountain. You know, like when you, when you dig your hole of addiction, that's a huge part of trying to get clean is that you have to look, you know, like I haven't paid bills for years. Like I said, I didn't have a mailing address for five years, oh you know? So you look at that, as a reason not to get clean, right? It's way too hard. It's easier to use. That's that's the addiction. Addiction lies here. This my a good friend of mine, Joe, always says. He goes, "I have a disease that lies to me every day using my own voice." Oh my god! So if you hear your Shit. own voice telling you this lie, you're gonna believe it. But you have yeah. to acknowledge that it's a lie. You know, and I tell my daughter Genevieve too. I say biggest thing I say to her almost. I say it a lot to her. Feelings are not facts mm. because you feel something doesn't make it true at all. You know, and we call them Mortimer bad head days. Joe, she'll text me bad head day, dad, Mortimer head day. And then my response, feelings aren't facts, right? Yeah. What do we need to do? Yeah. What do we need to do to convince you? 
so trying to convince somebody to get clean, uh, for me, for me, there's only one way and, I, and that's fine in recovery. It really is. Like we had talked a little bit before, I think before we started, uh, people get, you know, some clean time or sobriety at treatment facilities or, or in jails, you know, and, and that jail time counts when you, <laughs> when you get clean. Uh, yeah. But you need recovery in order to survive. Here's, recovery isn't about getting clean. It's about teaching you how to stay clean mm. as much as it is how to live life without the use of drugs and to show up when it's almost when it feels like you can't show up for anybody, it gives you a, a, a reason just to do something. I don't know how to, how to word it, but the advice would be that uh, go to a meeting. Go to a meeting. You don't have to say nothing, and it's yeah. gonna be you're gonna be scared. Most most people are scared, but you show up and you just listen, and then you do it the next day, and then you do it the next day, and then. If you make a plan like, hey, I'm going to go to a meeting every night at 7. I wake up and I just have to stay clean or sober till the meeting. Make that your goal. Okay, I can't go to the meeting high. I can't go to the meeting drunk. So I got to stay clean and sober. And then I guarantee you, if you go to that meeting, you're probably just going to go eat and go back to bed. I shouldn't say guarantee, but there's a very good chance you just gave yourself a goal and the next goal is, hey, just go to bed. And now you got a day clean. You do, now you got two days clean. Now you got two weeks clean. Yeah. Uh, my clean day, January 5th, 2015, Evie, uh, actually my daughter, oldest daughter, tattooed it on her. So I'm like, oh, God, now I got to stay clean. Oh, <laughs> my God. On you. Why did you do that? <laughs> you know? But so clean dates, clean dates on that, from that day one, when you chose, when you choose to get clean, or even if you didn't, if someone chose it for you, uh, that data is extremely important because that's, that's when I got clean, that was the only possession I had, mm. right? For my own individual possession. I didn't have nothing. I had a, I have a date. Well, I need to protect that. If I protect that, I will develop a life worth living. It's like there wasn't a single person who could take that away from you. You had earned no, it, me. and it was like every day, one yep. step at a time. Yeah. God, and then, Eric. And so, it, you know, it's, it's a choice. Like, it was a choice for me to, I don't know if I necessarily chose to get clean, but I chose to go to that meeting. And I yep. chose to be honest, and I chose to ask for help. Uh, those are choices that I didn't have an opportunity to choose when I was active in active addiction, because with addicts, we choose, we choose to pick up, we choose to use, I chose to get high, but once you make that choice, unless if you have, don't have the disease of addiction, once you make that choice, that first choice, you lose being able to choose again. You don't, that addiction takes over and now you don't choose to get high the second day. It's you're in active addiction. That choice got taken away from you. And, like for me, it was like, you know, like you said, my headlights only went to the end of my nose type yeah. of a thing. Uh, and, and you know what I think it. about is that you were showing up for yourself maybe the first time ever in your life. Yeah, and right. that was like your first step 
towards health. I mean, Eric, you are remarkable. I can't even imagine yeah. the amount of you know strength and for stick to itiveness that it would take to just one day at a time. Um, I'm so grateful that you came on today. Like, incredibly grateful that you shared your story. I'm sure. It's so relatable, and so many people are going to benefit from hearing this. I realize we could go on and on in so many different ways about this story, and I have so many more questions I could ask you specifically, and I didn't get the privilege of going to prom with you, but I feel like I know you a lot better in this uh, hour well, of conversation. <laughs> Next I just, time. I learned, I learned that, <laughs> that I, I might have made out with Talia once, but I mean... <laughs> I, I have enough time in a day here. We can have that first kiss too. You never, you know, yes, I mean? you know it's oh. never too late. Don't Doug. tempt me. You're single. Don't tempt me, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, Eric, you're the best. And thanks again so much. And I yeah, thank you. can't wait to just hear all the responses to your incredible story. And, and, and here's last part about this too. Like this keeps me clean today, right? Yeah. Like if I share my story or if I get a responsibility within recovery, uh, service work, et cetera, what I'm horrible at right now. But like for this to me today was my recovery for today. This filled my, filled my cup up mm. to wow. the point and, you know, and then just by doing something outside, I'm, I was pretty comfortable, but you know, doing things outside your comfortable, you know, your comfort level yep. is, is extremely important, extremely. And making yourself of service to others like you've helped so many people just by being so vulnerable I should be helping and more than humble. Like... yeah you know shame <laughs> Eric, you shame. are enough you are just enough kidding. you are enough yeah. <laughs> well thank you so much everyone and um thank you eric we're so, so yeah, thank you so thank much you eric for your for your story yeah. take Bye. care